Uh, we're in this series talking about the spiritual journey, really, that we want everybody to take, like unashamedly, the next couple of weeks. And, and these four-week series is really about the heart and soul of our church and why I love our church, why so many of you love your church. Matter of fact, if you do, I think you ought to share this all over social media. I think you ought to make this your profile picture because some of y'all, y'all don't even look like the person in that profile picture. Y'all, know, I be, y'all, y'all be sending me friend requests. I'm like, I ain't never seen that girl before. I ain't never in my life. I don't know her. She don't look like that on Sunday. She, I don't know who that girl is right there. You ain't fooling nobody. Change it to that. I, I, I love, love, love this church. And I tell you this all the time. I really do. You're my favorite people in all the world. And um, I would rather preach here than anywhere else in the world. And, and so the next couple of weeks we've been just talking about, last week we started talking about why our church, why I love our church, why, why so many of you love our church, and really what makes us different, what makes us distinctive, and, and, and the things that we focus on. There are four things that we do. We're kind of simple here. We, we say it this way, that you, you can go to two different kind of restaurants. How many of you like to eat? Let me see your hands. I can see you, so don't lie. I know some of you are. <laughs> you, like, you like to eat. And uh, I, like, I like, how many of you steak lovers? All the steak lovers in the house? Good, good, good. I don't love red meat all that much, but every once in a while, I'll do a good steak. And we like to say that City Hills... Is like Ruth's Chris, all my Ruth's Chris fans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At Ruth's Chris, they just do a couple of things, and they do them really, really, really well. Now, you can also get full at Golden Corral, all my Golden Corral fans. Let me hear y'all, where y'all at? Yeah, that's what I'm, don't lie, from Sister Dale, nothing wrong with yet. Golden Corral, it's, it's just food, it's the same. Matter of fact, you can get steak at Golden Corral, but you just have a big variety. There's a big menu, and it's all kind of mediocre. You understand what I'm saying? None of it's just exceptional, but it's all kind of decent. At, at Ruth's Chris, they just do a couple of things. It's just going to be a couple of steaks, but it's going to be exceptional. At City Hills, we, we want to be, we, we be Ruth's Chris and not Golden Corral. We want you to be able to have something that's exceptional and not, not something that's just kind of warmed over. We just do a couple of things really simply. But we want to do them really, really, really well. And so I want to give you those four things. Last week we started talking about that. And we find those around the promises we think God made. We think He made them the children of Israel, but I really think they're, they're promises in your life and in my life too. And He talks to them in Exodus the 6th chapter. You can follow along right here. Exodus 6, God tells Moses, He said, Therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord and I will bring you out. There's actually four times He says the phrase, I will. He says, I'll bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And I'll free you from being slaves to them. That's interesting because it sounds like the same thing. And then I'll redeem you with an outstretched arm and with the mighty acts of judgment. And then after all of that, I want to take you as my own people. It's the first time he talks to them as a group. And he says, I'll be your God. And then you'll know that I'm the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. So last week we talked about that first I will statement. I will bring you out. And we said that the ultimate thing God wants to do, the first thing God wants to do in your life, the first thing really our prayer for you that we started this church based on this principle is our hope for you is to know God. That we really, we really think that if you're enslaved or you're feeling you know, trapped or you're feeling like, man, I'm just exhausted all the time or I can't get out or there's some emptiness in your heart. That the first thing you got to do is you got to know God, not know about God, whether you were raised, you know, raised in a religious tradition like I was. I was raised, you know, in, in a religious house, and, and we went to church every Sunday. And some of you, that's your story, and some of you, it wasn't. Like this may be the first church you've been faithful to or consistent at in a very long time, or maybe your whole life. But you, I don't want you to know about God. I want you to know God, really know Him in your heart. And we said that was that first promise. That's that promise of salvation or sanctification is the theological word there. We're going to talk about the second I will statement. Go back to the last verse. The second I will statement is this. I will free you from being slaves to them. Now this is so interesting because it sounds just like the first one. 
The first one is, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring you out from under the Egyptians. The second one is, I will free you. I'll free you from being slaves to them. It's the cup of, listen if you're taking notes, it's the promise of freedom. It's the promise of freedom. If you're an Orthodox Jew, this is the second I will statement. And, and on the Passover table, there are four cups of wine that you would drink at Passover and you would repeat this passage. And this is the second cup. And then you would say, I will free you from being slaves. And you drink from that cup. Some of y'all already been researching how to, how to convert to Judaism when you talk about four cups of wine on your table. And, and, and that second cup says, I will free you. And they would say that out loud, but it sounds just like the first. What's the difference? Here's the difference. Listen close. I want you to take notes in this. The first one is getting you out of Egypt. The second promise is getting Egypt out of you. The first one is getting you out of Egypt because even though the children of Israel weren't slaves there anymore, they were brought out, they were still acting like slaves. I want you to write this down. You can be free spiritually. You can be living for God and still bound with chains and acting like a slave. Would you write that in your notes? You can be free spiritually. You can be living for God and acting like a slave. You can be out of Egypt and have Egypt inside of you. They were already out, but they still had a little Egypt in them. They were headed to the promised land. They were free from all of that. They, weren't, they didn't have to do all of that anymore, but they were still acting like the slaves that they always had been. Their thinking was messed up. They had this wrong view of who they were and who God was. And so many of us, let me be honest with you, I encounter Christians, more people than I can tell you, this is, this is sort of where they live. This is where most Christianity uh, lives. They, 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 they're messed up in the way that they think. They're plagued by old habits. They're on their way to heaven. They just have old habits and old addictions and old attitudes and, and stuff that's inside of their heart that they've never dealt with sort of the stuff on the inside. They gave their hearts to the Lord. They felt like, man, okay, I'm out. I want to know God. I've given my heart. I've surrendered everything to Him. But I'm still acting like a slave. I'm out of Egypt, but Egypt is inside of me. And this is what, if you're an Orthodox Jew, this is called the cup of Deliverance, the cup of deliverance. I know when you think deliverance, you think two things. Number one, banjo's playing. Come on, somebody. You think about deliverance right there. Or you think about, you know, somebody's head spinning and projectile vomiting. You know what I'm talking about? Like, like devils inside of you, deliverance. And I kind of grew up in a church that was similarly, actually, both of those definitions of deliverance are kind of kind of close to the kind of church I grew up in. Head, head, head spinning and devils coming out. I never forget one time I was, if, and, and, and don't be offended by this. I just, I tell you the stories that I have because they're just, it's all I, I have is my stories. But I remember one time I was a little boy and it was, it was one of those kind of service, one of those kind of services and this lady comes to the front and, and, uh, and man, it was getting, it was getting super wild. And this, I'll never forget this, this, this older person like brought a trash can to the front and I didn't know what was about to happen right now. Apparently, you can throw up devils. I don't know. Don't do that in here. You hear me? Don't ever do that here. You, that, that's, your, that's your ticket out of here if you're looking for a way out of here. So uh, when you think deliverance, some of you think, man, that's the way it happens. It's like, you know, I've got to do delivered of devils or something. And while I believe that, you know, there is such a thing as spirit possession, and, and I do think that God can deliver you from that, that's not really the kind of deliverance I'm talking about. I'm talking about deliverance from your past. I'm talking about getting past your past and settling your yesterdays. Really getting to the point where I, I'm now out of Egypt and I need to get Egypt out of me because anybody who's struggling with your sinful nature, you need deliverance. Anybody whose past is limiting your future, you need deliverance. Doesn't mean you have a devil. It just means you have a past. And you need deliverance from that because if you don't settle your yesterdays, you can't ever walk into your tomorrow. 
You can't ever go to where God wants you to go and have everything God wants you to have if you don't settle the things that are inside of you. That Egypt that still lives inside of you, you may be on your way to heaven, but dealing with stuff inside of you. Here's the way that I like to say it. I want you to write this down. There's two different things. There's a difference between deliverance and salvation. Salvation takes care of your eternity, but deliverance determines the quality of your life while you're here. Salvation takes care of your eternity. When you, when you give your heart to Jesus, when you fully repent of your sins and put your faith in Jesus and what He did on the cross, we believe that you're saved. That takes care of your salvation. That takes care of your eternity. This is where most people stop. There's some people, matter of fact, the majority of you in the room, this is probably where you live. Salvation is taking care of your eternity. But you need some deliverance because the quality of life that you have right now, frankly, is terrible. Plagued by habits that you can't get rid of. Addictions that you can't break off of you. But problems that you've brought from, from your past. Guilt and shame that you've had in your past. Salvation happens in an instant, but deliverance is a process. Would you say amen to that? Salvation can happen just like that. The moment that you repent of your sins, give your heart. That's something that happens on the inside of you. It's something that God has everything control. Matter of fact, that first cup is all about God. Your salvation is all about Him. It stands alone. It is by Him, through Him. Here's what Ephesians said. It said, God saved you by His grace. Shout amen to that, everybody. When you believed and you can't take credit for this, it is a, underline this, it's a gift from God. You can't take credit for that. Salvation is not the reward for something good that you've done. So that nobody here can boast about that. If so, if you could earn it, if you could do something about it, then everybody would. You would fix you. You would, you would save yourself. But he said, no, no, no. It's God's grace that did that. Nobody can boast about that. It is His gift and you can't take credit for it. However, your deliverance is something you have to work out. Deliverance is you working out the grace that God gave you. Look at this. Here's what Philippians says. It says, work hard. Work hard on your salvation to show the results of your salvation. Obeying God to keep deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you. Here it is. Giving you the desire and power to do what pleases Him. This is the difference between salvation and deliverance. Salvation is God's business. It's a gift of God. It's free. You can't do anything to earn it. You can't do anything to deserve it. You can't do anything to mess it up. It's the grace of God. Everybody shout amen to that. But deliverance is you working hard to show the results of your salvation. It's you working out that stuff on the inside of you that you're going to have to work out. It's that deliverance stuff. It's settling that stuff on the inside. That second promise is all about you changing. God, the Bible says, gives you the power to do that. That's why this is a spirit-filled church. Because we think you need God's power to do that. We think you need God's presence in your life. But you're going to have to take the steps to be free. You're going to have to take the steps to sort of do that. Let me tell you how that works. Let me give you a quick theology lesson just in case you're kind of into that sort of thing. If you draw on your notes, I want you to draw this next graphic that you see here. Everybody here, whether you recognize this or not, we are triune in our being. Just like God is triune. You have a spirit and a soul and you live in a body. You are a spirit that has a soul that lives in a body. Would you say that out loud? Say, I am a spirit that has a soul. That lives in a body. When you get saved, the only thing that gets perfected, the only thing that gets saved, and this is the biggest misconception about people who are new to faith, the only thing that God perfects and saves is your spirit. That's the thing that lives eternally. That's the thing that's going to heaven. Come on, everybody. Aren't you glad your body's not going? Come on, somebody along that. Like, I ain't going to take this. I'm going to get a new junk, okay? I'm going I'm to be all new. I'm going to be 6'2". Y'all don't know what. Y'all not going to recognize you, boy, when I get there. 
This is the only thing that goes to heaven. Your spirit gets perfected. Listen close. This is where the Holy Spirit fills you and and your spirit is now communing with God. Your spirit gets perfected. But you now have to have this spirit in control of these other two things. And this is where people get hung up. This is the deliverance piece. Salvation happens here and deliverance happens here. Your soul is is what you think. It's your emotions. It's how you live. It's, It's what's going on on the inside of you. It's the personality that you have. Your body is just that. It's your five senses. It's what you like to taste and see and smell and touch and and, and hear. It's the stuff that, that sort of traps you and gets you. And so when people get saved, this is the biggest misconception of new Christians. They go, I don't understand. I got saved. Why am I still fighting all of this stuff? It's because the only thing that got saved on you is your spirit. Now you need God to work out that stuff inside of you, that soul and body stuff. Now the rest of us has to catch up. That's why you need the Holy Spirit living inside of your life. And I think when you get saved, the Holy Spirit comes to do a work in you. I think you can also be baptized with the Holy Spirit and be filled with the Holy Spirit so that He is in control of these other two things. If something's going to be in the driver's seat of my life, I don't want it to be my body. I don't want it to be my emotions. I want the Holy Spirit directing everything in my life. Shout amen to that. And so you're like a baby when you come to God. You're fully alive, but you got some growing up to do. There's a bunch of Christians that I know, not you, but they all come to the second service. That are, that are, that are born again. They're, they're babies. They're fully alive in Christ. They just have some growing up to do. That we just need to systematically decide, how do I let the Spirit control what's happening in my emotions and my personality? How do I change this anger issue that I can't seem to settle that I've had all of my life? How do I get rid of this addiction to this, to this drug or this chemical, this alcohol, this pills that I've had for as long as I can remember? How, how do I control lust? How do I control uh, my, my pride? Like, where, How do I control all of that? I thought when I got saved, I'd take care of all of that. And your spirit is ready for heaven. And that happens in an instant. Now you need some deliverance in your life. Now you got to deal with your yesterday. Now, even though you're out of Egypt, you've still got Egypt in you. we got to learn how to settle our yesterdays and, and keep these areas. Listen close. Here's what happens to most people. They get trapped in this second part. This vicious cycle of, I don't know how to get out of this. I don't know how to settle my past. And you can't move on from where you are. And you can't have a healthy, growing, vibrant, dynamic relationship with God. And so you're the same spiritual person you were five years ago. Is it because you're less saved than you were five years ago? No. Oh, I don't know. Some of y'all may be. It's not because you're less saved than you were five years ago. It's because you haven't settled what happened five years before that. It's because you may be out of Egypt, but you've still got Egypt inside of you. I'm free, but I'm acting and thinking and living like a slave. Is this making sense to anybody? Shout amen. I'm living that way. So, so what do we do? How, how does this happen when I can't see my future? When I'm limited by what I've done in my past and I can't see my future? Here's, there's usually three areas that people need help. And this is really my heart for you. There's, there's three areas that I really think, as, as your pastor, this is one of the things that I think God's called me to help you. Here's the first one if you're taking notes. Everybody needs victory over sin. You need victory over sin. Here, here's here's the, the side note I want you to write underneath that. Look at your neighbor and ask them why they're not taking notes. Say, this is the best he's done all day. Why, why would you not write this down? Why, you need victory over sin. Here's, here's, the, here's the first thing I want you to write down. and You can do it on your phone or just look at Facebook. I don't know what you're doing on your phone. Sin is what you do to yourself. 
It's your habits. It's your addictions. It's your attitudes. It's the stuff that you've decided this is choices that I make. Sin never sneaks up on you, everybody. Sin is always a choice. I always get, I always get tickled when people use sin and mistakes uh, simultaneously. It's not the same word. A mistake is something you didn't mean to do. Sin something I, I meant to do it. I wanted to do that. Come on, everybody. I've never mistakenly gone to Krispy Kreme. I want to do it. I'm going to do it. Come on. It's people in the first area that you're going to have to deal with. If you're going to settle your yesterdays, if you're going to get all of that out of you, you're going to get Egypt out of you, you're going to have to get over, you're going to have to get victory over your sins. Because sin can be, listen, so discouraging. And let me give you some hope. Listen to me right now. Sin can be so discouraging because you know that you should not have done what you've done, but you don't know how to get out of it. You feel like you don't want to do it anymore, but you don't know how to stop doing it. You feel like you can't let anybody know that it's still in your life because then people are going to start talking. And then what happens is the enemy, the devil, starts tormenting you with, I told you you couldn't get rid of this. I told you that this wasn't real. He starts, he starts to accuse you. As a matter of fact, the Bible calls him the accuser of the brethren, the, the, the person that always points his finger and goes, I told you it wasn't real. God really wasn't changing your life. And who do you think you are to be able to go to church like that? And listen, you're in good company if you feel that way today. The Apostle Paul had that same feeling. Romans says it this way, I find this law at work in my life. Even though this is the Apostle Paul, everybody. This is the person that wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. He wrote more of the Bible than any other one person. He said, even though I want to do good, evil is right there with me. And he's not talking about your wife. For in my inner being, he said, it's inside of me. I delight in God's law, but then on the inside of me, there's this other work. This other law that's working in me. And there's this war that rages against the law of my mind. And it makes me a prisoner to the law of sin at work inside of me. What a wretched man I am, he said. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? And, and then he gives himself the answer. Sometimes you got to talk yourself into it, everybody. He says, thanks be to everybody. Shout God. This is the only way it's going to work. You've tried everything else. You've gone to every counselor, read every book, watched every inspirational movie you could possibly watch. It doesn't matter anything else you go to. Paul said, everything else I tried, that war that happens inside of me where I feel like I want to, but I don't know how. The stuff I don't want to do, I end up doing. The stuff I want to do, I don't do. How do I get rid of that? He said, thanks be to God who, there it is, delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. He said, I gotta have deliverance. I gotta, I, I, I need to take steps. And many of us in the room today need to take steps for victory once and for all over the sin in our lives. Shout amen to that, everybody. Here's the second thing I think that you need. You need victory over sin, but but also that's the stuff you do to you. The second thing is you need healing from your wounds. We need healing from our wounds. Here's the, here's the, what I want you to write underneath that. If sin is what you do to yourself, wounds are something that somebody else did to you. It's the negative events that, that, that usually aren't your fault. It's rejection that you felt. It's a divorce that you didn't, you didn't ask for. It's ne- I talked to somebody the other day uh, on our team. It's just a horrific event. And, and, and we thought things were going to work. And we, you know, we, we, we had a baby and we thought it was going to work out. And it hasn't worked out. And he's not and she's not and they're not. And, there's, and I didn't mean for this to happen. That's usually what I, I didn't. This is not what I wanted. It's, it's a negative. It could be a tragedy that happened in your life. 
There's a member of our church a year ago this weekend. Her mother tragically instantly died. It's absolutely horrific. It didn't, it had nothing to do with her. It just happened to her. It's a wound in her life. It's words that somebody told you. You're fat. You're ugly. You're never going to make it. You're short. You're never going to be anybody in your life. You're never going to get out of here. You're always going to be poor. Your daddy was an alcoholic. Your granddaddy beat your grandmother. It's never going to be any different with you. You can't ever have a healthy relationship. You're never going to get married again. When this one's over, the next one's going to end. It's always going to be this way. And those are the wounds of your life. You didn't have anything to do with them. It's not sin. It's a wound. And here's the problem with wounds. Listen close. And I really feel what I'm telling you. Because I, I think a lot of people live in, this, uh, live in this area. The devil, the enemy of your soul, will use a wound as what the Bible calls a foothold. You know what that means? That means he actually stakes claim in there. And he grabs a foothold inside of there. He, he kind of burrows down into that wound. A sin, you can make a choice. You made a choice to get in it. By, by God's power, you can make a choice to get out of it. Say amen to that, everybody. You can get victory over that. But when you have a wound, the enemy sort of walks into your wound and he gets a foothold. It usually happens in relationship trouble. Maybe not necessarily between man and wife. Or maybe not in a dating relationship. Sometimes it's mom and dad. Or, or daughter and dad. Or grandfather or uncle or molestation. Or just horrific things in your life. Here's what the Bible says. It talks about it. Ephesians says, don't sin by letting anger control you. And don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. This is not about anger, everybody. Look at me. This is about wounds. Because if you don't deal with your wounds, here's what the principle is. It's not about you going to bed angry. Because some of y'all, you've been keeping your spouse up all night long until the Bible says we can't go to sleep till you say you're sorry. (laughs) That ain't what it means. This is about a wound. And if you don't deal with your wound, then you give a foothold to the devil. And the enemy sort of takes his place inside of your life and he traps you in your yesterday. You can't get out. I'm out of Egypt, but Egypt's in me. And it's holding me captive. And the pain of our past is limiting our future. Here's the third area I gotta hurry. The third area, I think so many people get sort of stuck and they, and they don't know how to get you know, the Egypt out of them. Is, is They need victory over your sin. You need healing from your wounds. And then you need authority over the enemy. Listen close. I know we kind of talked about it a little bit. Now we were laughing about devils and all that kind of stuff. But let me be real frank with you. Look at right in the eyes. You and I have a spiritual enemy, the devil. Shout amen to that, everybody. This is a real thing. And, and, and if, if sin is what you do to yourself and wounds are what other people do to you, some of the times this is what the this. This is, this is where the enemy is doing something to you. There's a, there's a spiritual roadblock. Many of us are trapped in our problems in our past. Not because of our sin. Not because of a wound. But because you have an enemy, the devil, that sees your progress. And whether you like it or not, all throughout Scripture, the enemy has one goal in mind. It's to steal everything God has for you. To kill every promise God's made you. And to destroy every progress you've ever made in your life. That is his plan in your life. You didn't think you were just going to get up and start making spiritual progress. You didn't think you were just going to wake up one day and say, I'm going to change my family tree. We're not going to be who we were anymore. We're not going to deal with anger and alcoholism and abuse and molestation. We're not going to do any of that anymore. We're not going to yell and fuss and cuss and fight. I'm helping some of y'all today. We're not going to do all that stuff anymore. We're not going to deal with this same addiction we've always had, pride we've always had, anger we've always had. And the devil was just going to go, that's a good idea. 
That's a, I, I think that's a great idea. I'd love for you to get on. No, no, no. The moment you start making spiritual progress, the moment you start standing up and saying, this is the end of the line. It stops with me. I'm changing everything today. I'm moving on beyond this sin today. I'm getting healing from my wounds today. The moment you do that, the enemy stands in. So how do you defeat that? What do you do to that? Paul wrote to the Ephesian church. He said, finally, here's what you got to do. you got to be strong in the Lord and in the might of His power, in His mighty power. Put on, here's, here's, here, listen, if you want to know how to do it, pull on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. He said, it's going to happen. He didn't say it could happen or it may happen. He said, when the devil's schemes, you're going to have to have on some armor to go to battle, everybody. For our struggle is not against our husband husband and wife, our boss, our mother-in-law. Your struggle is not against your mother-in-law. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against the person that wounded you. It's not against the person who let you down. It's not against even the sin in your life. Our, our struggle is, is against authorities and powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Would you write this in big, bold letters on your notes? Everything is spiritual. Everything in your life. If you are a spirit that has a soul that lives in a body, then everything about you that happens to you through you by is spiritual. Everything is spiritual. So how are you going to fight it? You're going to have to fight it spiritually. It's why I never understand how people sort of face it. There's just no strong will. You ever wondered why new age and, and stuff? And there's not, listen, I mean, I, I, let me confess. I won't ask you. I'll tell you. I like Oprah. Come on, somebody. All my Oprah fans. I'm, I'm an Oprah Winfrey kind of dude. Super Soul Sunday. Come on, somebody. I get a little cup of soup and get my Afghan on. And <clears throat> That's probably more than y'all needed to know about me. You watch Tony Robbins or, or, or you watch Oprah Winfrey. You watch anybody who's in the New Age or into, into talk. You, you know why they always come back to things like, they don't just talk about your sheer, your sheer willpower. They don't just talk about what you could do. They talk about something bigger. Why? Because even they recognize it's spiritual. Everything is spiritual. Even though they may define it in terms that I don't agree with, they're still saying the same thing, which is you're going to have to fight this spiritually. You can't fight this on your own. So what do you do? You and I need this promise of freedom. I need to get over my sin. I need healing from my wounds. I need to get past the, the attacks of the enemies. I need to be able to move on to the third and the fourth promise that God has for me. I need to be able to move on past I will bring you out. I need to get past the I will free you from being slaves. So many of us have lived 10, 15, 20 years, 30, 40 years. Not in Egypt anymore, but with Egypt in us. You've never moved on to joy and passion and fulfillment and really finding your purpose. Let, let me give you a little insight here. If, you, if you've lived for God, if you've been serving God, if you've been in, in church, you, you know, you've been saved for a while now and you still don't have joy or fulfillment, you're still wandering around wondering what am I supposed to do with my life, it could be you haven't settled your yesterdays. Could be you haven't handled uh, some sin issues in your life and you need victory over that. It could be some wounds that have happened to you that you need God to heal in you. It could just be an attack of the enemy that you need to stand against and fight against. You can't go on till tomorrow until you settled yesterday. You just can't do it. And the enemy would love for you to get stuck in this vicious cycle. 
The enemy would love nothing more because, listen, I think God's ultimate plan in your life is fulfillment. I really do. I think God has created you and I to live a life of fulfillment, a life that's bigger than ourselves, a life that makes a difference in the world. And I think, matter of fact, sociologists have, have uh, recently have begun to agree with what the Bible has said for thousands of years. Sociologists call this last level of the human heart. There, 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 there's, there's stages that, of needs in the human heart. You, you know, the need for shelter, the need for food, the, you know, the need for companionship. The highest... That the highest need of the human heart, listen, sociologists call it, and, 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 and psychologists call it transcendence. It's, doing, it's something bigger than me. God's always said that. that, there's, that you, if you'll live your life for something bigger than you, then you'll really have the best life possible. That's fulfillment. You, you, if you'll make a difference in somebody else's life, and some of you are thinking, man, I'd love to get to that part of my life. Where I really find fulfillment in what I do and who I am and who I'm married to and what I chose for a career. How do I get more? How do I go beyond that? The first, you you, you got to get deliverance. you, you got to get this second promise in your life. So let, let me tell you how to do it. Let, let, let me give you, in conclusion, let me sort of give you some practical steps. Here's what Romans 8 and says. He says, so now, there's no condemnation for those who, this is the first thing you got to know God, who belong to Christ. And because you belong to Him, I love this translation, the power of the life-giving Spirit has freed you. Once you know God, the next step is you need His Spirit to free you from the power of sin that leads to death. Notice these are two different things. He says there's no condemnation for those of you who belong to Christ. That's you knowing God. That's your salvation. This other part down here, that's deliverance. That's the process. Of that life-giving presence and power of God freeing you from your yesterdays. Here's the way we like to say it. The first thing that God's promised you is that you need to know God. If our, our prayer, listen, our whole church is organized and built. And really, we, our, everything that we do is around these four things. And the first one is you know God. Here's the second one. I want you to write this down. I want you to find freedom. I want you to find freedom. After you know God, after you've settled that part of your life, now you've got to settle your yesterdays. You're going to have to learn how to find freedom in your life. You say, well, how do I do that? Like, how do I find freedom now? What do I do now? Like, what are some steps I can take? Well, let me tell you. But the main thing I have found, listen close, the main thing I've found if I want to change any area of my life is I have to change the people in my life. Shout amen to that, everybody. If I want to change any area of my life, some of you jokers take me to Krispy Kreme. Y'all are my problem. <laughs> I need somebody taking your boy to a salad bar. Come on, somebody. It's harder to go to the gym alone than it is with somebody. Amen, everybody. It's just easier when you change the influences in your life. Listen close. I think, in my opinion, I've got to be honest. If you're going to find freedom, I really believe this wholeheartedly like like I've staked my whole ministry on these four things. I think relationships are key. I think relationships change everything. And it really makes sense, doesn't it? Like, like if you have an issue, how do you want to deal with your issue? Would you rather do it in a big group of people in a public meeting? Or would you, do, or would you rather handle your issue in the safety of a, of a group with just other people that can handle it with you? You know what I mean? Like if I had a big anger issue, I, I, instead of standing up in front of you, I'd rather a couple of dudes get together and go, hey dudes, I'm struggling with this. And I've been hanging around people that feed this addiction problem. I need you to help me break this addiction problem. 
Relationships are key to changing this whole thing. So what do you do now? How do you get in these relationships? What do you got to do? Listen, you got to get honest. I'm almost done. We got five minutes. He's even playing the closing music, everybody. You got to learn how to confess what it is that you're dealing with. You got to learn how to deal with it. Would you write this down? Proverbs 28 says, He who conceals his sin does not prosper. Listen close. But whoever confesses and renounces them finds mercy. You got to confess it. You got to talk about it. Some of you are saying, We're supposed to confess our sins to God. You're exactly right. 1 John 1 and 9 says this If we confess our sins, He, God, is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us or purify us from unrighteousness. Listen, when you confess your sins to God, you receive forgiveness. Look at my eyes. When you confess your sins to God, you receive forgiveness. But when you confess your sins to one another, you receive healing. James 5 and 6 says, Confess your sins to and pray for each other so that you can settle your yesterdays. Confessing, come here, Morgan. Confessing my sins to God. I'll receive forgiveness for that. Morgan can't forgive me of my sins. Morgan can't heal the wounds of my past, what's happened to me. He doesn't have the power to do that. Only God has the power to do that, to wash all of that, to cleanse me from all of that. But listen, I can't settle my yesterdays, the anger, the addiction, the problems, the hurt. I can't do that unless I'm in relationship with somebody like this. And I say, Morgan, I need some help. I need accountability in my life. If I go to Krispy Kreme, will you stop me? No, you won't. <laughs> I need Jonathan. Cogerham, stand up. You'll stop me from going to Krispy Kreme. When I confess my sins to God, I receive forgiveness. Look at me. But when I confess my sins to somebody else, to God's people, that's when I receive healing relationships are key to this. So since relationships are key, how do I start new relationships? I'm going to give you three ways today. You ready for this? I'm going to end super practical. I want you to write all these down. I'm going to give you some steps. I I don't like going to church where I feel inspired. I don't have any steps. What do I do next? I'm going to tell you what to do next. I'm going to give you three ways. Three things you need to do that involve other people and start making steps to settle your yesterdays. And I'm talking to you. Everybody everybody, point to yourself right here in the chest. I'm talking to you. I'm not talking to the guy beside you. I'm not talking to the people up in the cheap seats. I'm not talking to any. I'm talking to you. you y'all looked up there at the cheap seats. I'm, I'm talking to you. Here's three things you need to do if you're going to settle your yesterdays. Here's the first one. It requires other people to be involved. I, I, think, you need to, I think you need to be water baptized. Water baptism is the very first one. I think you need to be water baptized. Baptism doesn't save you. Baptism lets the world know you're saved. It's this public declaration of a new association. Listen, it just, it literally says to the whole world that I am now, I'm with a different team. Matter of fact, Galatians says it this way, that everyone who's baptized into Christ puts on Christ, like putting on new clothes. Come on, it's like signing day and you get a new jersey, everybody. It's it's, it's what team you're on. I'm identifying with a new team. Look at my eyes. You need to be water baptized. You. You say, well, I did it when I was a kid. I did it when I was five. I did it when I was, maybe in the tradition you grew up in when I was a baby. Okay. You need a new identity. There's a lot happened since you were a baby. 
You need to identify with some other people. You can't baptize yourself. You need somebody else. Interestingly enough, in just a couple of weeks on the 24th, we have a big baptism celebration on our birthday. Look at my eyes. I'm talking to you. You need to say yes. You say, well, I was baptized, but, 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 but I, you know, I walked away from God and I'm coming back to God. You need to be rebaptized. You say, well, is that in the Bible? Anywhere? You bet it is. Sure it is. They rebaptized the disciples of John the Baptist. You, 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 need to, you need a new identity. You need to be raised to life. Romans 6 and 4 says that when you're buried with Him in baptism, we raise to walk in a brand new life. Some of you need that new life. Past your sin, past your wounds. You need to be baptized today. Today, you need to sign up. You need to sign up online. You need to sign up at Connections. You don't have to say, we'll provide everything. We'll give you t-shirts, long shorts. We'll give you flip-flops. Come on, cheap, old Navy flip-flops. You know what I'm talking about? You can get like at private changing areas. And all of these, there'll be hundreds of people there. Listen, we'll take pictures for you. We'll take video for you. You can bring your whole family. I think you ought to bring your whole family and celebrate it. But listen, all of those people, you know why they're going to be cheering and crying? You know why I cry every time it happens? Stand, where's Jose? Stand up, Jose. You know, you know why I baptize? Stand up. No, you got to stand up, Bob. You, you know why I cry when I baptize? Stand up, Oscar. You know why? You know why I cry when I baptize? Where's Carly? Stand up, Carly. You know why I baptize when I? Where's Nick? Stand up. Where you at? Nick's in the back of the room. Stand up. Matter of fact, you've been baptized since we started this church. Stand up. Let's do that. That's easier. Look at it. Look at it. You 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 know why all these people said yes? And there were hundreds of people around them crying and cheering and because they got a brand new life. I remember when, you, you got to stay standing. I remember when Jose got in the water and he looked at me. And I was doing good till he got in the water. He started crying and I started crying. Because you don't know where he's been. I don't know, really. I don't want to know. Don't tell me. I just know this. He had to settle his yesterdays before he could walk into his tomorrow. Some of you need to do that. The second area is, I think you need to be in church membership. i got to be honest with you. I think you need to say yes to a family. Would you write that down in your notes? I think you need to get plugged into a spiritual family. I think you need to join a church. Now listen close. Let me be honest. I think this is a good church to get involved in. I could easily recommend to you ten others though. And I mean that. I just want you to get plugged in somewhere. I want you to go all in somewhere. I, I want you to give, here's, here's what I ask people here, and really what I ask you to do anywhere you go. I want you to give it a whole year. I want you to do everything they have. If, it, I, I don't care what it is they do. If they have underwater basket weaving, I want you to get involved in it. Just get involved, man. Just put all the chips in. Just say, I'm going all in. I'm going to give. I'm going to serve. I'm going to show up to everything. I'm going to get in every group. I'm going to do everything I can. I'm going to be a part of this family and see if God doesn't change your life. Here at City Hills, you can do that today at 1 o'clock at Growth Track. That's our process for you to get on the team and join the church. And I think you need a family. I think you need other people to surround you and commit to you and celebrate with you. If you're going to change your life and settle your yesterdays, you've got to change the people around you. And then finally, here's the last thing I want you to write down. I think you need to join a group. I think you need to get in a small group. I think you need to get in a small group. It's so critical. The Bible says it this way that bad character, I'm sorry, bad company corrupts good character. A wise man once said, if you show me your friends, I'll show you your future. Some of you are looking around, your friends going, oh my gosh. (laughs) 
These jokers are terrible. I got to get new friends. You do. You do. How do you expect to move beyond that? You, I heard somebody say one time, you're the, you, you are the average of the closest five people in your life. You have the average income, the average home, the average relationship, the average marriage, the average spiritual life. Of the people that are the five closest people in your life. Look around at them. Some of you are sitting by them going, oh my gosh. I'm, like this is what I'm going to have. I need to change my group. You need to be inside of a small group. We just launched a connect group semester here. When you leave today, you can see that. You can just join one. You say, well, I don't know what I want to do. It, you, there's, there's a hundred. Th- and if you don't see what you would like there, start a group. There's probably somebody else that wants to do something like that. You just need new friends. Listen. Because when I get inside of a group of people, I know it just looks like stand up Justin Taylor. I know it just looks like I'm nostalgic because it's birthday month. I'm making everybody stand. They started a group this past week. They've, they've led a group every single semester we've been a church. They've led a small group. They started one this semester. And Friday night, you had a group Friday night at their house. Taylor put a bunch of pictures on social media. And it really, for me, it wasn't about social media. It wasn't about all that. It was just, I just saw people doing live. I don't know what they were doing. They were playing the goofiest games. I don't know, Twister. I don't know what it was. I don't know what happened. I mean, you can be saying, don't play Twister. Don't do that. <laughs> That's weird. Don't do that. I don't care what they were doing. It wasn't sin. And they just had relationships with other people. They were just doing life with other people that were encouraging them. Big smiles, big laughter. If you're going to settle your yesterdays, you're going to have to find some new folks. You can find freedom that way. Why don't you stand all over the house, bow your heads. Nobody moving but our team for about two minutes. If you'll give me two minutes, I'll promise I'll let you go. teams moving into place and nobody else would you just bow your heads and pray pray this way come on this is a holy moment pray God search my heart God there are people in this room who have made it out of Egypt but there's still Egypt in them They're saved, they're on the way to heaven, but they're just habits and hang-ups and stuff and addictions and attitudes and stuff they haven't settled. God, they've moved beyond being a slave, but they still think like one, act like one, talk like one. It's just that slave mentality. I need freedom from that. I need deliverance. If that's you in the room, if, if, you, if you feel like nobody's looking around, everybody's eyes are closed, if you feel like, man, I know what that feels like to sort of have lived 5, 10 years, 15, 20 years, still dealing with the guilt and the shame and the problems and the addictions and the, and the hurt and the wounds and the sins of my past. If that's you with nobody looking, would you just be bold and raise your hand and say, man, would you include me in this prayer? That's still me. I see your hands. I see you. I see your hands up all over the place. More hands this week than last week because people still need healing. Put your hands down. Let me pray for you, Father. I just pray for every person who raised their hand and every person who didn't, who is struggling with their past. God, who needs more than anything, they need freedom. Like real freedom. Like, God, I I know that you brought me out of Egypt. I just need Egypt out of me. 
I want you to pray that way. God, I want you to deliver me. I need deliverance, not from, not, not from something bad wrong with me. Just I need victory over sin in my life. God, I, I need healing for wounds. Come on, would you, would you pray that way? God, I pray for people who've been hurt. God, who things have been spoken over them or they've, they've been involved in things or heard things or just been hurt and wounded by family and relationships and people. Father, I pray for healing in the room. God, I pray for victory over sin. By the power of Jesus, I pray for victory over that. God, things that have bound them for years, I pray today would be the day. Literally, I pray you would take away the, the, the desire for that thing. God, I pray that you would remove from them, break off of them. Every operation of the enemy, I break it off of their life. I stand in the way. I break off of them. Every oppression that, that the enemy would have, every attack he has planned for them, I stand in the way. God, I give you my whole heart. Come on, if you've never prayed this way, would you pray this way? Say, God, I give you my whole life, my everything, everything that I am. I repent of my sins. I surrender my life to you. I give you everything. Help me to find freedom today. In Jesus' name, everybody shout amen.